Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I think people need to, people getting into the market really need to learn how to delay um, gratification. So... And and really, um, I didn't. I never went out for breakfast. I never had smashed avocados, and I, I made instant coffee back then. You know, I didn't uh, go and buy lattes. So people need to look at their lifestyle and look at their expenditure. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors, find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategy. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode on Property Investory, we're chatting to Cam McClellan, Director of Open Corp Australia and author of My 4-Year-Old, The Property Investor. We'll find out how he grew his business and his portfolio and how skipping smash avocados and lattes in favor of growing his portfolio paid off. So, what does he do in any given day? I'm one of the directors of Open Corp, so we're a um, property development, funds management, and property advisory. So, for property investors, we can teach them how to build property portfolios. So, my role with Open Corp is strategic direction. I don't have a function day to day or any any task I'm responsible for, except for strategic direction. Um, I day to day, I probably I work Monday, Tuesday, um, have all my meetings. On Monday and Tuesday, uh, I don't work on Wednesdays. I do a bit of writing on Wednesdays. I'm writing my four-year-old property developer and my four-year-old business owner at this point in time. Then Thursday, Friday, I usually keep free if I need to catch up with anyone. Or, but um, it, nowadays, I mean, I've got a really good team in place for my businesses, so it's taken me a long time to get them to that point, automating medium-sized businesses. But um, I've got you know, great management structure in place. Um, so yeah, really, it's um, Monday and Tuesday is my work days, and then I'll drop into the office on Thursday, Friday, but it's not for any great length of time. And the reason is not to be to be um, lazy or anything like that, because I do enjoy business, and I'm sure I'll be in business until I'm 95 if I'm still around. But uh, the reason I set it up like that is I, I like to make sure you know, I can get my kids off to school, go to the gym in the morning, go into work, and be home for my kids when they come home. And while they're young, um, they think I'm cool, so I'll hang out with them now. When they're 15, they'll go and do their own thing for a while before they come back. So while they're young, I'll spend as much time as I can with them as possible. One of McClellan's personal achievements is his book, which was published in 2015 and aimed at teaching towards his children about property investing. The book that I've um, currently uh, started writing in 2010, released a couple of years ago, um, was my four-year-old, the property investor. Uh, the reason I wrote it, there was really nothing I felt and I've read pretty much every property book there was. And so I'm not saying other property books aren't good, but what I was wanting for a property book was a way to transition knowledge to my kids. Um, so I think it was about 2010s when I started writing it was when I was going overseas and said to my wife, if something happens you know, um, while I'm away and the worst happens, 
I've got no way to transfer this, you know, 15 years of knowledge and property investment and everything I've learned along the way to the kids. So I started writing a journal just to literally some basic notes on property and the basic journal, which I thought might take a couple of days, was 20 hours a week for the best part of a year. Um, and that book got uh, published and the way I constructed it was as if I'm speaking to my kids. So, it's, you know, the majority of it is, is literally the way I speak to my kids. So it's very plain and simple language. Um, but they're fairly complex subjects that we're going through. So I broke it down. I'm a fairly process-orientated. I have a number of different businesses, very process-orientated. So an overview of the industry, um, all the ins and outs, which gives the basics on property and property investment in Australia particularly. Uh, then I've got the process that I use because I wanted to find a way that I could, I suppose, determine the best property in Australia to purchase and add to my personal portfolio at any point in time, regardless of market cycle. So it's pretty hard to compare property A and property B and then get the winner of that and compare it to property C and go through the 9.4 million properties in Australia. So I developed a process, which I'm happy to go through with you later if you need to, um, and that enables you to pick the best property every time. And then I wrote up the check sheets that I use from everything from, you know, the idea, setting up your team, getting your finance structure correct, because finance is probably... One of the main things which stops property investors duplicating is the way banks want finance structures set up and the way property investors need finance set up about as polar opposite as you can get. Uh, so setting up um, finance structures, then how to identify the best investment and checking the markets, the growth corridors and individual property, uh, then yeah, settlement checks, conveyancing checks. And then once I'd got to the stage where I had a pretty serious portfolio, um, and had a process to build that portfolio, I became overwhelmed again. So I created a system which I call just fairly zen, which is the circle of duplication, which is basically a way to continually check your equity levels, uh, monitor your overall portfolio, and know when to duplicate again. So I created check sheets for each of those and put those in the book as well. So basically, if, um, if I fell off the perch, so to speak, I could hand that to my kids and go, there you go, you're now competent property investors. Um, the book, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, when, well, they can read it when they're old enough to comprehend it. But, uh, yeah, the um, the book went to number four on Newslink. It's been in the bestseller list for a couple of years now. It was, um, it was the number one property investment book in Australia. It, I couldn't get to number three. That was really frustrating me. And number three at the time was... Fifty Shades of Grey. So go figure. You know, I had a pretty women's uh, women's um, fantasy books versus property investment. I didn't really have a chance. In some ways, the process he has created with investing into property was influenced by the adversity he experienced when he was growing up. And this probably relates to um, the reason I've got a, a process with the investment is um, my parents were in business. They had a news agency in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, they sold that when I was in you know, end of primary school, grade six. We moved down to a country town, Warrnambool, in Victoria, and they bought a motel. The um, the vendors of the motel um, had cooked the books in conjunction with our accountant, and this was the third time they'd sold the motel to unsuspecting buyers. And within six months, my parents had lost all their money. They'd sold their house, sold their business, and lost all the money. Um, so. Um, end of grade six, we moved to the other side of Victoria and moved into a tin shed. And for six years, I lived in a tin shed while we built a mud brick house. And while 
I didn't have a bad upbringing. Um, and overall, at the time, didn't think I wanted for anything. You know what I mean? As a kid, my parents provided. I remember one day my parents arguing over whether they should buy milk or bread. So I realised at that point in time, sort of what predicament we're in. And they, they were pretty open with me at the time as a, a young kid and what was going on. But obviously realised at that point that, you know, money impacted their life greatly. So um, I think it was then that I started realising that I wanted to set myself up and have enough money and, and and not for the sake of being greedy, but so I've never had to put my kids through something like that. And, and you know, I was still young kid at that stage thinking of it. Um, but I always wanted to get back to the city. So my teen years, were, I grew up as a country boy. And then yeah, uh, I left school um, at six. No, I left, left home at 16, started working, um, moved back down to the city. And my early 20s, the 19 or 20, I bought my first investment property. The reason I bought that was I understood that um, wealthy people had property. I didn't have the education to understand uh, the share market and, more importantly, analyse um, company financials if I was investing in shares. So um, I started buying lunch. There was no there was no seminar circuit or property spruker um, circuit back then where people go and get their information from now. So I just started buying lunch from old grey-haired investors, basically. Um, I was lucky that a mate that I, who's now one of my business partners, um, a mate's dad was a successful investor and developer and he grabbed us when we were sort of 19 and 20, showed us how to do a few developments and dual locks and triox, and then, yeah, six units and 12 units and, yeah, now we're, we're building quite a large um, amount of property each year. Before beginning his property investment journey, McClellan worked various jobs to save for his first deposit. He also agrees with real estate mogul Tim Gurner's controversial statement on smashed avocados. I worked in tips, recycling rubbish. I worked in supermarkets, worked as a forklift driver. I worked in every disgusting job you could ever put your fingers on. Um, and most of the time, I had two or three jobs at one point in time. When I wanted to get my first property, um, I sold my car, rode a bike for nine months to make sure I could get the deposit for it. So it amazes me nowadays when, yeah, and, and look, it's going to get tougher and tougher for kids to get property as they, you know, for first, the, the pricing is, is tougher than it was back when I was young. To get that deposit together is really tough, but I think people need to, people getting into the market really need to learn how to delay um, gratification. So, and and really, um, I didn't. I never went out for breakfast. I never had smashed avocados, and I I made instant coffee back then. You know, I didn't uh, go and buy lattes. So people need to look at their lifestyle and look at their expenditure. If they're serious about saving for a deposit, be serious about it. You know, um, make some sacrifices, get an extra job. Um, you know, no one's going to give it to you. It's probably the message. After he had saved enough money, he put it to good use alongside two business partners, creating a syndicate to put into property developments. It was actually a light bulb moment went up, and while Steve, who is still my property mentor, he actually sits on the board of a couple of our companies and. Um, really good friends with him still who um, grabbed us by the scruff of the neck and took us down to the real estate agent and said, here's your property you're buying. I'll teach you how to build a unit on the back. I think I was earning, I was working at a call centre at Telstra at the time. I was earning $22,000 a year and uh, I purchased the property and this was like uh, late 90s, early 2000s when you could do no wrong in Melbourne when you're buying property. It was just one of those cycles that I landed and was lucky to get hold of. But um, I, I signed the contract several, three months later and before, on the day of settlement, I actually checked the market and got, got the property revalued. And the property had gone up just under $40,000. So 
So I was working at the time for earning 22 grand a year, and by signing a contract, it probably had gone up 40k. Now, with that, obviously, you know, split the block on the back and put a unit on the back. But with that revaluation, it gave me the, the equity to do that, but also gave me enough deposit to go and buy another one, which I did. So all of a sudden, I was doing two properties at once. And I think Felicity, my wife, and I, I think she worked out in four or five years, we moved 11 times. So we were just basically, you know, buy a house, get plans and permits, get construction started, move again, and, and just roll that out. And then the glory days of dual locks really came to a halt. Um, sort of early 2000s, I think every mum and dad, what I call now recreational developers or, you know, standard builders were getting onto the fact that they could make some quick money out of doing a dual lock. And they started not doing the feasibilities correctly and ended up paying too much for it, which happens in every help mark cycle. And so uh, what Alistair, who's my business partner, and Steve and I decided to do was to pull our money together and in, in effect created you know, a basic syndicate. So we'd pour our money in. If Alan and I wanted to chuck a couple of hundred grand in and uh, Steve wanted to throw half a million dollars in, we'd um, put our equity together, buy a site. We then realised values back then between – Five and fifteen million dollars, so larger developments. So developments which were out of the ballpark for most small builders or mum and dad recreational developers, but well and truly after the big players in town, underneath the big players in town. And so that was a good sweet spot for us for about you know five or six years. And we just started getting you know those sort of developments underway. Even before McClellan's development venture, OpenCorp has been operating in the background for years. And within ten years, its success has only gained momentum. I mentioned we were working at Telstra. We uh, started a telco company, so Al called us up at the time, and he said, there's this guy, Crazy John, that's making a bucket load of money um, selling mobiles. What do you reckon? Yeah, I know. Um, and so we started a um, corporate Telstra dealership, just business to business, and we ended up having the largest corporate Telstra dealership in Australia, something with 150-odd staff. So that was a real apprenticeship over a decade of automating medium-sized businesses. We also started an IT company, um, which service managed services for medium-sized business. And we sold those two businesses in 2012, I think it was. Uh, Open Corp was incorporated originally in 2005. Um, so while people knew us for our telco, in the background, we were continually doing development. And that was really what we loved doing. So um, you're not going to say that you know, solve the world's problems by selling iPhones, but um, we, we both loved property. And, um, during that time, so Open Corp effectively is a development company um we also have an arm which is it's not a charity we charge for our services but along the way people were asking us you know, how do you build a portfolio and we got sick of having coffees on you know on you know, morning coffees and weekends that sort of thing teaching friends and family how to build property portfolios so and we were getting we'd probably slowed down on building our own portfolio and wanted to look at business so we employed someone to build our own portfolios and to sit down with people so Open Corps, the, the mentoring side of things came from there. So we you know, um, just slowly built that business up. I think we've been listed in eight BRW Fast 100 lists now. So, yeah, the business has gone well over the last, you know, sort of best part of a decade. Really, our clients use us because they don't have to think about it. If they, if they don't want to do any research, if they want to make sure that their finance is structured right, if they want us to find the property, manage the property, you know, organise everything, and all they say is, yes, I'll have a property, take you as a tenant and tell me when to buy the next one. That's really the service we provide. So, Coming up after the break, we'll delve into McClellan's personal property portfolio. My wife and I have got our own portfolios. We've got a number of different trusts. Um, I've got a 
portfolio with one of my business partners, Alistair, um, which we've got you know, a lot of residential and commercial property in. What he purchases for his own property portfolio? Purchased um, businesses. We've purchased um, you know, a com- commercial building to put our businesses in and we've just maintained those. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Western Australia is tipped to be the next property hotspot. If you're looking to invest and build in WA, take advantage of the affordable land market and record build times with Plunkett Homes. Visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build to find out why they are WA's most established home builder. With over 150 years of experience, Plunkett Homes helps you develop turnkey homes across WA. To get your fixed price demolition or site works and to maximize profits and minimize time, Visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build. And now back to the show. The on-sold developments which OpenCorp are involved with are worth a substantial amount. Currently, I think around Australia, we've got about a thousand apartments under construction, maybe maybe a similar of land subdivisions. So we probably think... Don't quote me on this but, um, exactly, but I think it was around $600 million worth of projects currently underway. McClellan's personal property portfolio is divided between residential and commercial investments. Currently, I think around Australia, we've got about a thousand apartments under construction, maybe maybe a similar of land subdivisions. So we probably think, don't quote me on this but, um, exactly, but I think it was around $600 million worth of projects currently underway. My wife and I have got our own portfolios. We've got a number of different trusts. Um, I've got a portfolio with one of my business partners, Alistair, um, which we've got you know, a lot of residential and commercial property in. Purchased um, businesses, we've purchased um, you know, a com- commercial building to put our businesses in and we've just maintained those. To give you an idea, um, this is one of our first uh, medium-sized commercial buildings that we built, which was 3,500 square metres. We built basement car park and three levels of 1,100 square metre floor plates, so 3,100 square metres of office space down in Dandenong. Um, and we um, but we got the land, got the planning, and we got a 10-year lease uh, through Vic Police, which was um, the Victims of Crime Unit um, in Dandenong gave us a 10-year lease. Um, so then we constructed the building. They went into the building. Now, that property, once it was construction and tenanted, was just over 400k positive income for us. Wow. The day it was built, um, we put it on the market and sold it. And we had a bidding war from a number of super funds and you know, different investment groups. You know, people... So, you know, why have you got a commercial property giving you 400K passive income and you've just clogged it off? And the reason being is we took that money, paid the tax and went and bought, I don't know what it was at the time, 20 or 30 individual houses. Residential houses were a lot safer for us. The value of that building is at its greatest point when it's got a new lease. And every day, getting close to the end of the lease and the building potentially devalues until another lease is signed. So it's much safer to have a... Uh, yeah, a large portfolio of small eggs than there is one big egg. But um, the main reason why I'd say I prefer residential property is the basis of growing wealth is holding the most amount of asset with the least amount of money out of your back pocket. So if you look at you know, today's lending landscape, if you want to buy a $1 million, so if I'm talking in you know, regular majority of people out there's terms, 
if you want to buy a commercial property, most people can afford a million dollar commercial property, for example, which is nowadays it's a milk bar. You know what I mean? So you've really got to look at it and go, what's the stability of the business going in there? If you're looking at commercial property, do I understand profit and loss statements? Um, can I analyse someone's balance sheet? Can I analyse their cash flow? Can I talk to the management team? How stable is their business? How stable is the industry? And then um, factor in, you know, a six-month lease-free period and things like that. Or um, So then really you've also got um, the deposit required. Going back to the first statement I made, the deposit is you might have to throw in 300 grand to buy a million-dollar property. If you put if you got three hundred dollars worth of deposit, you can probably get one point five to two million dollars worth of residential property. So for the same money out of my back pocket, I can hold a million dollar commercial property with a bucket load of risk, or I can hold nearly double that of residential property with a lot less risk. So by the, having a small amount out of my back pocket, I can grow my wealth base a lot faster through residential with less risk. Leverage is power, as I can hear there. And that was probably one of the light bulb moments when going back to buying that first property. Probably the key. I mean, the, the really golden information for new investors is understanding equity and how to access equity to duplicate. And then once you've got using other people's money rather than your own to leverage up and getting a greater return than you could on your own, and then once you're duplicating the effect of compound growth, then compound growth is the eight wonder of the world. Um, I think it's what's the old Einstein saying? That's a terrible book to read. Einstein's autobiography. It's probably one of the most boring books I've ever read, except for Johnny Howard's, until I read John Howard's autobiography. But Einstein's, um, one of his sayings in there is um, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it, he who doesn't pays it. And same with property investing. Compound is seriously you know, where the joy comes in. This aha moment for McClellan has allowed him to create the life for his family, which he never experienced for himself during his youth. Yeah, that was my light bulb moment, my aha moment when um, I realized I could get equity from other people, buy property and earn a bucket load more than I could earn in a year by working. And that was really all I wanted back then. I mean, I've got toys and those sort of things and, um, you know, different houses that we can take our kids on holiday to, but really I'm not into the bling. Um, Money has never been my driver. My driver has been not having to wake up to an alarm clock to do whatever I want, whenever I want, go on three months a year holiday, which is basically all the kids' school holidays, and and really just have that freedom. So money is the means to an end. And, and really, I knew that property could give me that through those light bulb moments. And people ask me, they say, you must really love property. And, but really, if elastic bands gave me compound growth, I would be an expert in elastic bands. It just so happens that property to me is the safest thing that I can understand and bank on to give my family the lifestyle that I wanted. Although he has been careful with the properties he manages, he has some letdowns with other investment vehicles, including a missed opportunity in Hollywood. I've been um, very selective on the property that I buy. Um, and, and make sure that yeah, I'm satisfied if we're offering a, a property to a client. I've got to be satisfied that it adds my own personal portfolio. But I did have a terrible investing story. Um, I invested in, let's go back to my Telstra days, invested in a company, Triton it was called back then, which they had some retina scanning technology they came out. I got a, a tip from someone else that worked there. So I can't remember exact figures. I think I spent I mean, 26 cents a share, so I bought 10,000 shares for about $2,600 thereabouts. I think that was the, the amount. And I um, never never really looked at the shares again. And I moved, this is probably 10 years later, I, I moved house and I found the broker's um, paperwork. And I looked at it and I looked up these shares and they'd gone from $0.26 cents to $24 a share. 
and then and then the company got into receivership. So, <laughs> so, so there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, yeah. So, but but that's probably a lesson into you know manage your investments, isn't it? That was my, that's my own fault. So, but um, hey, if that's the worst case, so so be it. <laughs> Yeah, actually, another terrible investing moment. This is, and, and you wouldn't know I'm Italian University in this. So, um, friends of mine were in the film industry years ago. So, this is when we were kids, and they knew we were in the telco industry. And uh, mate of mine, Lee, came to Alistair and myself and said, Look, I've just made, I want, I want to make this short film and then take it over to Hollywood and sell it. And I need $7,000 to piece together a 10 minute short film. And then we're gonna, um, James and I are going to take it to Hollywood and sell this film. We were like, come on, man, like, I'm not going to give you seven grand. It's a lot of money back in you know, early 2000s. And uh, the boys ended up piecing together the money and uh, they made the short film, which we all loved, and they took it over to Hollywood and that movie became Saw and the Saw franchise. You knew them. Okay. Yeah. So, but saying that, um, Elle and I love films. We've actually created our own production company in LA and we just uh, yeah, finished our first feature film, which um, premiered in Tribeca and then at Cannes Film Festival, Cannes Film Festival, however you say it. And uh, so, yeah, we've, um, and we're on to our third feature film at the moment, or second, second and third feature film at this point in time. So, yeah, but that's, that's not uh, investing. That's having enough money and then being able to go and have a bit of, fun on the side so you don't make films with the hope of making a bucket load of money it's definitely not not, a, not an advisable thing to do so you do it for a hobby it's very family friendly it's called psychopaths is our first one um yeah you know, so I, I always love the horror genre i won't be showing the kids for a very long time but uh yeah i'm not twisted but i, I do love um the horror genre and it's probably um pulp fiction with psychopaths there you go it's probably the easiest way to describe it so, what was McClellan's end goal for his property investing journey? Yeah, my vision was to um, create a portfolio. Once I understood equity and living off equity, there's probably four, probably four main exit strategies I see it. Um, sell to pay off your debt, um, the domino effect, which is one pay one property off. Um, and once you've got that paid off, the rent goes into the next one, and you slowly pay each one off, which usually is in conjunction with the you know, sell to pay down debt. Um, you can give them away to your kids if you want at the end through a family trust, or you can um, live off equity and that was once I understood equity I realised that as long as my portfolio was growing at a much faster rate on average than I could spend then in effect I'm retired I can do whatever I want so my goal at that stage I worked out I needed basically five properties five well chosen properties and to let them double in value and then draw up the line of credit um, and then draw that down slowly over the next decade when it went up in value um, but I enjoy business and um, Felicity wouldn't let me stay at home all day because I'd annoy her too much. So I, get, I still enjoy going to, you know, and creating businesses and, um, yeah, playing in the property space. So I've just continued on with it. But that was my initial goal um, was to have five properties which are growing in value fast enough that I didn't have to work if I didn't want to. He shares an example of a property portfolio that you could comfortably live off applying the same strategy. That portfolio... Um, What's five properties worth two and a half million bucks, isn't it? But anyway, if you got, or if you got, say, if you got a ten percent growth rate, which you can't in Australia, I think it's eight point three four percent on average across our capital cities. If you got a two point five million, might be two hundred twenty grand. It's growing in value. If you draw a hundred grand on that, which is tax free to live on, well, you've still got a nice buffer there. The banks nowadays, um, through private bank or you know, most of the areas in the bank, private bank or the retail sector, will deem you a professional investor, and they want your 
if you've got no income, they'll like to have your portfolio at about a 50% LVR. So you might require a little bit more than that. But that was my goal when I was, you know, first, you know, naive within the industry. Um, and, but that was, yeah, my first goal anyway of what, what I wanted to achieve. So, inspired by McClellan's story and how he built his portfolio, we'll continue the conversation in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss how to apply the strategy. Equity growth is the only way you'll um, build wealth through property. Um, property wealth, real wealth comes from doubling your asset value every 7 to 10 years. Success habits for property investing. We invest together individually, but we don't challenge each other, but we're also, if, if one of us slows down or you know has a bit of time off the other we, we just um challenge ourselves i suppose with new ideas and that's next time on a future episode of property investory also if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that i only send out exclusively via email you can text me your email address to 0499881040 to subscribe these real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Thanks for listening.